Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What is going on, everyone? This is Dr. Josh Funk, and you are listening to the Strength and Knowledge Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Zach Baker, and I am with Bami Adu, one of our two sports residents that we have here at R2P. Uh, And on this episode, we're doing another one of our Journal Club recaps. So uh, for those that are unfamiliar, our residents... Uh, follow along our educational curriculum with a topic every month. And at the end of the month, they have to find a journal article relevant to whatever that body part or injury is that we're learning about. Uh, This past month, in the month of March, we covered the elbow, wrist, and hand. Uh, So, Bami, do you mind talking to us a little bit about the article that you chose um, and really why you chose it? Yeah, so the article I chose was Shoulder Range of Motion Deficits in Youth Throwers Presenting with Elbow Pain. So I chose this article because there's a lot of great literature out there talking about adolescent throwers and how that's kind of attributed to like increase in volume, increase in pitch count. So this article wants to look at any other modifiable risk factors that they could look at in order to kind of uh, see why these pitchers are having elbow pain. So this article was a cross-sectional study. It had uh, 25 patients with elbow pain and then 18 patients in a control group. That asymptomatic participants who were age and position matched their group with elbow pain, and the age were between 11 and 18 years old, but they're all at an average about 14 years old. For the inclusion and exclusion criteria, inclusion criteria was baseball pitchers between the ages of 11 and 18 years old who presented to an orthopedic clinic with chief complaint of elbow pain, and then exclusion criteria was prior throwing shoulder or elbow surgery and non-throwing elbow trauma or any concordant throwing shoulder pain within the past two years. So what they really looked at in this article was they wanted to measure GERD, and, uh, which is glenohumeral internal rotation deficit, and they also measured uh, total arc motion difference, and they wanted to see if that had any um, correlation with elbow pain in the youth picture. I'm glad that you picked this article, and I'm glad that the article included that age range of 11 to 18 because that is a population that we see a lot of at R2P with regards to the uh, baseball Population, We'll see it occasionally in softball, but typically baseball just because of the, the pitching mechanics associated with that. Um, and it's always a, an interesting and tricky conversation to have with the patient, with mom and dad, help navigating that uh, scenario with all other people involved as well. Uh, ideally, and we'll get into this in the article, there are certain things that are predisposing them to having this elbow pain 
uh, some that are in more of our control, some of that are more just circumstantial in nature with regards to what they're exposing their body to. Um, and I, I'm curious to get your thoughts uh, when we get towards the end of this after the article on you know, what the contributing factors are, what role we play as physical therapists, uh, what we do in the clinic, what we do outside of the clinic to help manage these individuals. But uh, elbow pain is unfortunately becoming more and more prevalent um, with this population for some factors that you're about to get into. Um, the one nice thing about this, the inclusion criteria, was that they did actually seek orthopedic care for, um, because I think that is something that is happening more and more, partly because of just the prevalence of which elbow pain is happening. Um, but I do think we are getting more education out there in regards to when we're experiencing elbow pain, especially with our throwing athletes. Oftentimes, it does require a formal set of eyes from a healthcare professional on it. So, uh, Bami, do you mind just going into um, really just kind of what the article looked at and what results they found? Yeah, so they were looking at TAMD, so total arc motion difference and um, GERD. So they found was that compared with the control group, the elbow pain group has significantly uh, greater GERD versus um, versus a, and significantly greater TMD. They also found that the average TMD in the elbow pain group was more compared to the uh, control group, and the prevalence of GERD and TMD was higher in the elbow pain group compared with the control group. So in conclusion, they found there's a higher prevalence of GERD and TMD in youth pitchers presenting with elbow pain. With, clinic, with clinically significant differences compared with an asymptomatic match cohort. So the cool thing about this was that they didn't compare apples and oranges, right? They looked at the same exact group, so the same um, age, same position, uh, and then they are able to compare it um, side to side. Awesome. So the big takeaway from that is the group that was having pain had less total shoulder range of motion, yeah. and specifically they had less shoulder internal range of motion, or internal rotation range of motion, sorry. Um, thoughts on your end as to what causes that or what contributes to that? And there's a variety of factors, um, but when we're talking about contributing causes from a mechanism of injury for these impairments, uh, what are things that are commonly found in the literature to contribute to either a, a lack of total shoulder range of motion? And for those unfamiliar, that's you know adding the external and internal rotation range of motion together. Um, and also a lack of shoulder internal rotation specifically. Yeah, so a lot of things the literature shows is that a lot of it has to do with like an increase in volume that these pitchers are pitching at a younger age. And when you think about these pitchers are, a lot of these pitchers are pitching year-round now, right? Some of these guys even have pitching coaches by the age of like 8, 10, 11, 12 years old. So when they're constantly uh, pitching the same mechanism, you're not really giving yourself time or your shoulder time to kind of move in different ways, right? So... A lot of it has to do with the increase in volume that these pitchers are pitching at and just as amount of time like they're pitching throughout the season, throughout the day. Um, I think they said like um, retroversion occurs most between the ages of 8 and 16. So if you're having these pitchers pitching at a high velocity, high volume at those young ages, not really giving them time to kind of have their shoulder retrovert and kind of gain that range of motion. And I think it is important to, uh, to point out that it is not uncommon. It's actually expected when we're looking at throwing athletes that they are going to have a shift in their range of motion skewed more towards external rotation. Um, and that's going to be to allow them to get into that full layback position of the throwing motion. 
What we need to be mindful of, though, is that it's okay for that range of motion to skew in that direction as long as we're maintaining total range of motion. So instead of having the classic, you know, 90 degrees of external rotation, 70 degrees of IR, you may have more like 120 degrees of external rotation. And instead of 70 of IR, you may have 40 of IR, but you still have that total 160 degrees of range of motion. Um, What's concerning is when people have that shift towards external rotation, but they end up losing more internal rotation than the amount of external rotation that they gained. Or they lose internal rotation and they did not gain any external rotation at all. And that's where with the mechanics and the anatomy of the shoulder being a ball and socket joint, we're going to have to find motion somewhere else for that layback position to occur. And we're typically going to find it in areas of the shoulder that it was not designed to move in that manner. Um, Or if we end up losing internal rotation, that's associated with the follow-through of our throwing. So if we lose the ability to have an adequate range of motion to follow through with, we're going to ask muscles and other structures of the shoulder to work in a very condensed range of motion across a shortened time frame. And then we start running into a whole other host of either musculoskeletal, uh, muscular tendinous related issues uh, due to this, the excessive stress and strain on them. Um, and I liked how you point out volume of throwing is a key contributor to this. And I think, what are some questions, Bami, during an initial evaluation that when somebody comes in with elbow pain and you're concerned about maybe the volume that they are throwing, what is just some general information that you like to get from the patient or their parent just regarding their participation in baseball? Yeah, one thing I always think about because I tend to overlook at times, first question I'm asking is how many teams do they play for? Um, we're usually thinking like, oh, how much are you pitching or how many games are you playing? But then you start to realize that these kids are playing on maybe like two or three teams. So first want to know how many teams are you playing for? Um, what positions are you playing on, on all those teams, right? Sometimes it might be a pitcher on one team, pitcher on two teams, or it might be a pitcher on two teams and a batter on another team. So it's thinking about how many teams, what position are you playing on those teams? How often are you throwing and the frequency that you're throwing in, right? Are you playing back-to-back games or you have some time in between? So those are certain things are going to be able to have a good inclination about how often they're throwing and kind of why they're feeling that pain. Where you have a kid who's playing three games one weekend and they're pitching all three games, then that's going to give you a really good clue of why they're experiencing that pain. And you had mentioned earlier as well that uh, some of these individuals may be doing private workouts or just you know informal workouts outside of their baseball practice and games as well. So uh, maybe they are doing a very good job from an organizational standpoint with their coaches and with their teams. Uh, a lot of these leagues do have rules that give them either uh, pitch restrictions or inning restrictions. Um, throughout the the season or the calendar year. Uh, But some of that's meaningless if they're throwing bullpens on the side and they're throwing another 50 or 75 pitches um, in a side bullpen session outside of their practice and game. So um, I I think you hit the nail on the head. We need to, one, figure out how often is this person playing baseball? And do they have a rec team and a travel team? Are they on a travel team and a tournament team? Are they playing with their high school and another traveler club team? Uh, how many months out of the year are they participating in, which a lot of time you're going to get that information from, like you had mentioned, figuring out what teams they're associated with and what that participation looks like. Um, and also just being mindful of, are the, the athlete, the parent, and the coaches even aware of 
innings uh, count, pitch counts? Is that being tracked? Uh, if it is being tracked, are they being held accountable for it? And are they actually adhering to what those recommendations are? So um, I, I think we talk about clinical interventions. You know, we can do symptom management. We can stretch. We can st- stabilize and strengthen the area all that we want. Uh, but if we're not getting this early education out about what the underlying factor is that led to the issue, which is oftentimes pitch volume and intensity, uh, then what we're doing in the clinic may be futile. Now, assuming that they do have that under control, we've had that conversation with them. Um, Maybe they're doing a good job of managing it, but they are still presenting with these shoulder impairments from a range of motion standpoint. What are things in the clinic that we can do from an intervention to help restore this optimal range of motion and put them in a better position to go back out and throw without having pain? Yeah. So again, like you said, once we finish that patient education talk, right, now we're going to start to look at what can we do in the clinic. A lot of things I like to look at at this point now is first working on posterior rotator cuff, right? So looking at uh, extensibility of posterior rotator cuff, can we do some soft tissue massage there? And then also kind of giving these athletes more movement options, right? Um, like we said, when they're constantly thrown, they're constantly in that uh, laid back position. So it's giving them different ways to move. So this is not the time where you're probably going to try to increase external rotation and increase that peel back position, but maybe start to look at where their deficits are, where they lie, and then kind of increase range of motion there. And also, like you said before, right, they are coming to you in pain. So that symptom management will be key. And also just working with kind of what their impairments are and what they come into you with. That's great. And I think a lot of times early on, we need to figure out if they have a range of motion deficit. Is this something either more intraarticular or bony anatomy, or is it potentially soft tissue? And maybe they're very uh, presenting tight or limited due to pain, due to guarding, due to excessive tone in that area. So just using all of our different bags of tricks that we have, whatever it may be, whether it's modalities, whether it's manual intervention, um, whether it's mobility work or Therax, where you're finding ways to just calm down that shoulder. And oftentimes, if we are lacking internal rotation, uh, posterior aspect of the shoulder and the rotator cuff is one that will usually give you a lot of bang for your buck um, in regards to an intervention standpoint. So uh, when we get that area to calm down from a symptom management standpoint and we start getting into more of our range of motion activity, it, it is kind of a... a dual task of getting back locally what they have at the glenohumeral joint and making sure ER and IR are where they need to be. Uh, But like you had mentioned, they do a lot of rotational stress and just natural mobility that happens going through the throwing motion. So making sure at the adjacent joints and the other areas of the body that they have the requisite ability to get into those full layback positions, full follow-through positions, But also, we need to not just think in terms of sport specificity, but like you said, general health of the shoulder. And the shoulder has a lot of degrees of freedom. It's a great joint in the sense that it has high degrees of mobility. We need to make sure that just from a general daily living, wellness, health, fitness standpoint, that shoulder can move through all planes of motion in a very efficient and effective manner. Um, And like you had alluded to, they put that shoulder in very specific stresses for the nature of their throwing motion. Let's give them some variety. If they are working out or if they're doing a daily uh, mobility routine, let's not just focus on baseball specific, but just general shoulder uh, mobility as well and get them into positions they may not be doing as commonly. 
which if we do have some soft tissue adaptations, that may help decrease the tone, guarding, and sensitivity of that area. Um, Bami, from a strengthening standpoint, because sometimes we can demonstrate a lack of mobility just because we don't have great strength and we have to find compensatory manners to go through motions uh, or areas get overstressed because they don't have the strength to accommodate that activity. Um, What are just some easy things that we should be mindful of for throwing athletes as we work on preparing them for returning to throwing safely with regards to strength and stability work? Yes, I think uh, for throwing athletes, right, definitely working on your scapular muscles, and that could be any type of uh, periscopper muscles and also work on rotator cuff for these athletes. Again, in the acute stages, right, don't want to put them in a position where they're kind of experiencing pain. So maybe you're just starting off with, like, your prone T's, Y's, and I's to get them going, and then kind of working your way up to kind of get in that uh, laid-back position where there's less stress on that medial elbow for them. But I would say post, definitely a lot of your rotator cuff muscles and definitely a lot of your scap muscles and have them kind of stabilize through that. Yeah, and I think the age of the athlete comes into play here. And uh, in this article, it's ages 11 to 18. Yep. And if you're working with a 12-year-old versus an 18-year-old, their exposure to strength training will be vastly different. So from an 11-year-old, I typically do not uh, propose to them the strength training in the sense of we need to get your muscles to hypertrophy and get bigger and get stronger. I usually frame it up to them as this is going to help you tolerate the act of throwing. Um, The biggest thing is going to make sure that we get the volume and intensity in check. Um, But I also frame it up as if you continue to play baseball – and you spend any time in a weight room, in the upcoming years, you are going to be exposed to these exercises that I'm about to show you. So as we're going through them, I don't need you to think about them and doing them in a manner that we're taking ourselves to physical exhaustion and we're getting a a heavy, intense workout out of it. We need to just acclimate you and familiarize you with what these look like. So a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, when your coach or your strength uh, and conditioning Um, coach asks you to do these, you have a good understanding of what they should look like and what they should feel like. Um, And we've kind of helped coach you through how it's unique to the injury that you have right now. Um, And then the other thing with that age group is sometimes I'll use this as a way to just leverage with them. What does a good, well-balanced strength routine look like for them? Just like we talked about a good, well-balanced mobility routine. And again, it's less about taking them and, and driving physiological change with strength but more just familiarizing them with what that looks like. Whereas with a 16, 17, or 18-year-old, they may be individuals where you're actually doing higher-level formal objective testing, getting ER and IR isometric strength testing ratios. Maybe you're doing an athletic shoulder test with the IYT positions um, to get their force production in those throwing-specific motions and you are training them and doing test retest to see how well they are improving strength, uh, either with serial testing or normalizing those ratios a little bit more. Yeah, and I think, like you said, with a younger population too, kind of uh, focusing a lot on stability, right? So whether it's like stability through the scat muscles, or just even core stability, um, just getting them to kind of be able to realize that throwing is not just throwing with your arms, but it's a full body motion, right? So being able to use your lower extremity, also use your core, and also learn how to kind of generate power and force through that so we're not just putting uh, all that stress on our shoulder yeah and I I think the easiest way to touch on what you just mentioned is we're we're basically focusing on movement literacy and giving them uh, the ability to coordinate movement 
um, and execute these tasks, not just at the shoulder, but through the entire kinetic chain with multi-joint, multi-planar activities. So, um, Bami, anything else with the article or any other takeaway messages, or did we hit it all? I think we hit it all, but this uh, kind of segues into a podcast for another day about uh, early specialization in youth sports. <laughs> I, uh, I like where your head's at with that one. I think that will be uh, probably coming out in the near future because that's a, a topic uh, with the baseball world and some other sports uh, that is very, very prevalent. So, Bami, as always, appreciate you doing the dirty work um, and going through the literature for us. Um, and hopefully uh, some people got some takeaways from this. And next month we are going to be discussing concussions Uh, So that's what our Journal Club articles will be on with that. So uh, appreciate your time and attention. Thank you for listening to the Strength and Knowledge Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or have been tuned in for multiple episodes, we would love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Until next time, thanks for listening.